Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful to be up here in front of you guys, and I'm thankful that the Lord has given me a, a, an awesome word this week for mainly for Christians. But uh, we see at the end there's a little bit in there for for non-believers. So uh, anyway, we just want to jump in. Let, let me pray real quick, and then I'll get to my thoughts from last week, and then we'll start our start our study. Lord, thank you for giving the word that you've given us today. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, Lord. Thank you for all the wisdom that you pour out upon me. And, and then, Lord, all the, hopefully, Lord, I just pray that all those listening all over the world, Lord, would be able to glean something from what you told me this week, Lord. Something maybe that they're waiting to hear or something that, you know, Lord, that they, they didn't know about you, Lord, or something that, you know, they may be struggling with, Lord. I, I just pray, Lord, we'd all be encouraged and we'd all be, we'd all learn We'd all start doing things your way, Lord, and and stop stop doing things our way, Lord, and learn how to do things more your way, Lord, because unfortunately, like we're going to talk about today, bad things happen, Lord, even to good people, Lord, and bad situations happen, even to those that are following you, Lord, so I just pray that we would learn and grow in you and and learn how to live this life, Lord, with a new set of rules, Lord, your rules, which are much better than my old rules that I had for my life. Lord, may you bless this message, bless the hearers. May they not be hearers only, may they be hearers and doers, me as well. For Lord, it's a, a saying, it's harder, to, it's harder to practice or live out one sermon than it is to preach a hundred. So Lord, I just pray that you would help me to live out even what I teach here today. Lord, as it is difficult to live out any message, Lord, any of your word, Lord, it's, it takes your supernatural Holy Spirit to help us do that. Lord, bless the message, bless our ears. Bless our hearts, and may we be tuned into you today. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter eighteen, verses fifteen through twenty. Again, that's Matthew eighteen, fifteen through twenty. First, before I read, though, as I've started doing, God's given me a custom to do this. Uh, my thoughts from last week's message. My Last week's message was titled, Oh, How Precious Israel Is in God's Sight. I'm mainly going to spend these few minutes, maybe this three or four minutes here, recapping probably one of the most important parts of what I talked about last week, and that's that we all cannot forget, and anybody listening, wherever you're listening to, all over the world, we cannot forget that God chose Israel and they are His covenant people. Not anybody else, but God's chosen and covenant people are His chosen people, Israel. I only stress this point again. God laid this on my heart as I was studying for this message, starting getting up going, that we have a huge movement of what's called anti-Semitic or anti-Semitism all over the world today, where people just as a whole just hate the Jewish people. Not only the Muslim community, but we have people all over the world that hate the Jews. They hate Israel. They just despise them. And I want to stand again and say, just like last week, we we better be careful. If you're listening and you hold that viewpoint toward God, I ask you now to repent of this attitude because God's promises are sure. God's promises are a guarantee. And remember, we read over Genesis 12, 3, though God says to Abraham, I will bless your, those who bless your seed, I will bless them. Those who curse your seed, I will curse them. And remember that word, Cursing means to even look down upon. Be careful that you don't even despise, Jesus said to us, any one of these little ones. And we know last week that our scripture was talking to us about Jewish people. 
And sadly, you know, it's a shame that we have this, but sadly today we don't even have just the world that hates Israel. We don't even have just the worldly people, the Muslims that hate the Jews, but we have a movement in the church that's been going on for hundreds, uh, hundreds upon hundreds of years, and it's called replacement theology, where even the Christian church has this idea that where they got this idea somewhere along the lines of that the church now has replaced the Jews from God's chosen people. And it that's just it's just another way that whoever these folks are that are doing this is they're just looking down upon and despising Israel. Remember that word despise means to think little of, to think nothing of, to look down upon. Well, to look at Israel's anything or anyone but God's chosen and anointed people, the one that he gave the promises to. Paul speaks about it in the New Testament, how he gave them the first everything. Israel was God's chosen people. He got, they had the first fruits of everything, the commandments, the statutes, the judgments. They got everything first. And then after them came us because they hardened their hearts against God. And then we now as Gentiles got a chance. And Paul warns the Gentiles saying, hey, listen, Gentiles, don't, th- don't look down upon the Jews, because if you do, remember, you are, you're a grafted in vine. You're grafted in. What much more? How about the natural vine? The natural vine is Israel. The Gentiles, the church, that's the grafted in vine. We are no by no means any greater than the natural vine. We need to remember that. Remember God's promise. We read Jeremiah, I think it was 31, 35, or 36 last week. But a new one that God put on my heart is Jeremiah 31, 37. Look how intently God is upon his children Israel. Look at how he looks on them. Jeremiah 31, 37. If heaven above could be measured, that's the space where the moon and the stars and the sun is. If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. And we know right now, we don't even know every inch of square mile that's on the planet. We've not been to them. There are some deep parts of the forest. There's the deepest parts of the ocean we've never actually had either the technology to get to in the bottom of the ocean or the the ability to get to the depths of these these rainforests. So he says, and if the foundations of the earth searched out, and, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Well, we know that no one can search out the depths of the heavens above. Nobody. Nobody knows how far space goes. Nobody can even measure it. We can't even get to the bottom of the ocean, so we have no, we have no idea what's even down there 100%. Because we can't get there. We don't have the technology to get there. And since these two things cannot be done, God will never cast Israel off as his original chosen people. So if you look down on or despise Israel or the Jews, I, I pray today that you turn away from this idea, this this way of thinking, because if you do, God in his word says he'll curse you. So why don't you just turn and bless Israel, bless the Jewish nation, bless the Israelites, because then God will bless you. Even America today, America, the America that we see today wants a divided Israel. And at the moment that we were wanting even levying to divide Israel into different places, into a divided nation, there were bad things happening to us in this country. We are losing God's favor in this country because our president and even the mass amounts of people that live here are looking down upon and despising and hating Israel. And we need to stop doing that because if we don't, or that curse just never stops like those countries we talked about last week, Germany and, and uh, 
Great Britain and so on and so forth. So we're going to end up in that situation. We're going to lose our favor with God. We better turn and we better start blessing Israel. Anyway, that's my little tangent from last week. I just wanted me to reiterate that again today. And just, you know, he loves Israel. He loves the church too, but he loves Israel too. And there's going to become a day when God's going to actually bring the Israelites, the Jewish people back in favor with him because there's a partial hardening of their hearts so that God could show favor to the Gentiles like he wanted to. So it gets all complicated and all so on and so forth. But nevertheless, we need not forget, let's bless Israel today and not curse them. All right. Praise God. Let's move forward. So who's ready to learn some more about the Bible? I am. I am. Me, me, me. I'm excited. Let's read our Matthew 18, 15 through 20. And let's see what God has to tell us today. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus says to us again today, I have a new King James Version. And in my Bible, I have red letters for when Jesus speaks. I like that. Moreover, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you two or three, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that, I, that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So the title of this week's sermon, Steps to Handling a, a Sinning Brother, or you could say Sinning Sister. So what are we hearing today? Our context remains the same. When you see moreover, verse 15, that's moreover means upon like kind of what I said. So this context here is still remaining. Jesus had a Jewish audience. His disciples were Jewish. So the people he's speaking with are Jews. Okay. But in his eyes, since they were his followers, you know, well, a follower of Christ is a Christian. So Jesus is telling his Christian disciples, his Christian Jewish disciples uh, about some ways that they're to handle something when, when another brother or sister comes and sins against them. Now, even though Jesus was aiming this teaching towards Jewish Christians, and of course the soon to be Christian church, the content of his teaching here in verses 15 through 17 would be a very would be very good advice for any person in any culture to settle differences with any type of you know body or congregation or family. And that's just how a lot of Jesus' teachings were. He was a very great moral teacher. In fact, the words there for church and for brethren can really just mean, depending on the context, an assembly or a brother like a family member. You know, so it's, it's generationally as a family or a brother spiritually in Christ. But because these disciples were considered Christians in his eyes, really Jesus is talking to the church and to Christians, so on and so forth. So I want to break down what Jesus says to us here. What's he say very first thing, verse 15? He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you. Main point of this teaching is one Christian. We have a Christian. We have you. Let's put you and me in, the, in that little slot. We have us and we're, we're living our lives for Christ. And then all of a sudden, another Christian brother or sister comes to us 
and they say something or they offend us in some way or they sin against us in some way. And what Jesus is telling us here, he's going to give us some practical steps to how to deal with that bad situation when it comes. I hate to tell you this and I hate to say this, but it is true. This is a very common occurrence in the Christian church. It's a very common occurrence really in all society because really people are just people and we're fickle. And Christians are no different. We are, we're, just, we're just human beings. And we each have things that bother us that other people say or other people do. And we just, that's just the way we are. You know, we live one way. We have certain likes. We have certain dislikes. And when we meet somebody, a Christian or whatever, they may come to us and they have no idea that we dislike this or like this. And they may say something and it offends us. So the list could go on. But just some examples of what could happen that could offend us. Uh, we could have some gossip. Not meaning it even, you know, we're, we're sitting there, we're, we're talking and somebody's name comes up and, and we, we say something about that person and we're just not even thinking about it. It's just so quick. You know, our words get us in trouble so much. And well, that gossip gets back to that other Christian, you, me, and then all of a sudden we get offended. Uh, we could have an ex- another example of a sinning against or offense against. Uh, the sale of an item goes wrong. You know, we're, 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 uh, we have something for sale and another Christian buys it. And, and when, you know, when they buy it, then you know, we didn't describe it as well as they thought we should have. And so all of a sudden, well, they cheated me. You know, uh, we could have something we say that we say something offensive. We're just in conversation and we're talking and we're, we're you know, carrying on and we're fellowshipping. And all of a sudden, somebody says something. One Christian says, oh, man, I can't believe he said that. Oh my gosh, that, that offended me. That, oh my, what, what did he just say? That's, that's, uh, that's not even the talk that a Christian should supposed to be talking. Well, unfortunately, like I said, it's going to happen. These things like this are going to come to pass, unfortunately. But Christ, as loving as he is, especially toward his children, don't forget God loves the whole world, but here we read, like I said, this sermon is mainly for Christians. Christ, being as loving as he is, knows that these things are going to happen. He knows that we are going to offend one another. He knows that we're going to sin against one another sometimes. And so here he wanted to give his disciples, and even us now, some practical ways to deal with these situations when they come. So let's look at the steps that Jesus gives us to handle these difficult situations. So a brother or sister sins against you or offends you, and what do you do? What does Jesus say the first thing we do? Brother or sister comes to you, you know, you're talking whatever, they say something, they offend you by what they say, they offend you by something that they do. What do you do? Verse 15, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So you, you, he sinned against you, you felt offended, well, you, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that, you know, okay, what, what do you do? Oh my gosh, how do I handle that? Do I go talk about him with, you know, with all my friends and tell all my friends what he said? I can't believe Bobby, Bobby Sue said that, oh my gosh, it's, it's horrible. No, Jesus said you go right to that brother, right to that sister, and you talk to them and you say, hey, bro, sis, you know, put a name in there, you probably had this happen to you. Hey, you you said this earlier, and you know this that, that really bothered me. It really bothered me. You said that. You and him alone. An example of this, I have one that God. You know, a lot of times God allows me to go through these teachings even before I get a chance to teach it. So we just recently at my house had some work done by another brother in Christ, and this brother in Christ came in and he did gave us a really good deal, and he and he did this work for us, and and uh, it was an awesome job, and everything was fantastic. 
And, uh, you know, we're talking on the phone later because there was something, I, I noticed something about the, the job that I thought kind of was a little weird. And I thought, hmm. And right away, I kind of got offended. And I was like, you know, he's a brother in Christ and this thing doesn't seem right. And oh my gosh, you know, so, well, you know, I'm going to call him and we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about what happened. So as we were talking, he assured me that, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and what I was thinking was wrong, was right, and there was nothing to worry about. And I just, I, I said something like, okay, man, thanks. I appreciate it. I was just thinking that this, that, and the other thing, and this deal wasn't right. Well, he immediately got, I could tell in his voice, his, his whole demeanor changed toward me, his whole attitude of his heart changed toward me, and he just got kind of snappy, and he just got kind of mean right away. And he kind of abruptly ended the conversation kind of quickly. And I got off the phone, and I thought, wow, I wonder what happened. I, I could tell this fella got, got mad at me, and it's something I said. And I, I, I mean, I didn't say anything that I, I wasn't trying to hurt him. I wasn't trying to say, I was just kind of talking about the situation. Well, about less than five minutes later, the brother calls me back up, and he says, hey, you know, Brother Ed, I, I want to let you know that, you know, I, I just, I, I'm trying to understand how you don't think I did a good job in, in this area. And I said, oh, you know what, man? I was praying about this when I got the phone. I said, I said, uh, I didn't, I wasn't meaning that that way. I was just kind of, I talk too much sometimes. A lot of times my family would tell you. And since I talk too many times, too much sometimes, I, I say things that I, you know, people may take in the wrong way. And this is what happened. I, I had said something about the job and I was only reiterating the way I thought before he spoke to me and he cleared it all up. And he thought, I was continuing to complain about, or not complain, but he thought I was continuing to argue about why the, you know, whatever he did there was not right. And once I assured him, I said, listen, brother, man, I did not mean it that way. I apologize if that's the way you took it. I said, that's not the way I meant it. I was just, you know, reiterating something I'd said earlier. He goes, oh, okay. All right. I misunderstood. He goes, I just, you know, I was getting kind of frustrated there because, you know, I had done all that work and, you know, I'm a brother in Christ and, you know, it's, it seems like you weren't trusting in me that the advice I was giving you and the thing I was telling you was right. It was supposed to be that way. So I, I understand. And I, and I said, oh, no, man, the job is great. Love the job. Everything's fantastic. And he was like, oh, that's awesome, man. Well, if you didn't need anything, let me know. God bless you. All right. Praise the Lord. Goodbye. And so that was it. And so conversation was, was over. Everything had gotten all squared away. He came to me just like Jesus said here. You offended me, dude, by what you said. And I said, I'm so sorry, man. I didn't mean it. And boom, th- done. So first step, Jesus says, when somebody sins against you or offends you, go to him or her, tell that one, you know, what you're, what they did or what they, and, and, and he finishes up with, if, if they hear you there in verse, there in verse 15, you have gained your brother. And this is exactly the way it went for me. We talked about it. I explained myself. He understood that it wasn't anything I did wrong. I gained my brother, no offense, Satan didn't get in there, God won, and everything was fantastic. That's how, sadly, and it is sad, this this part's not sad, the way it worked out with me and him, but sadly, most offenses can be handled with this first step. Most things people say to you, they don't, they just say them, and they're not thinking, and, and you know, people get offended, and, and most, you know, if you get offended, you go to the brother, if you do, they can be handled. No problems. All said and done. But you'd be surprised, and probably you're sitting there thinking, man, I've had this happen to me. You'd be surprised how many Christians get offended at what another Christian does, but they will never say anything about it to the other brother or sister. And what happens is it ends up 
hurting their relationship because they just go away offended. They never go back. They never get it out in the air. They never talk about what was said or what was done. And then before you know it, their relationship is heading south. And guess what? What happens? The devil comes in. And he starts getting in there, and Jesus said that the thief came, except but to steal, or kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what ends up happening. Because nothing's ever said, because one Christian never goes to another one and rectifies the situation and talks about it, then the devil gets in and destroys the relationship completely. So, and I, you know, and it is tough, because I was thinking on the way home is, I'm with my situation with this other brother, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, this thing has happened, and how am I going to handle this? And I was immediately thinking, I just won't say anything. I'll just, you know, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just get over it. And then I just, it just kept haunting me and haunting me and haunting me and haunting me. And I thought, well, you know, God's, and then God was speaking to me. And you need to just call him and talk about it. You just call him and talk about what's going on and about the situation, and, and you need to work it all out. And so that's what I did, and it all worked out great. We both went away happy, and we were both satisfied. So Christians, Jesus gives us this practical teaching for us to use to keep healthy relationships with other Christians healthy. We can't be so effeminate. We can't be so sissy-like and get so offended so quickly and then not go and say anything about it. We've got to go. We've got to take the steps that Jesus told us here, and we've got to go, and we've got to get these situations rectified. And Christians, this is a word for both here. When another Christian approaches you like that brother did me and tells you, me, that we sinned or offended them, we need to really, we need to apologize because, you know, nine times out of ten, we didn't mean to say what we meant to say or what we said. And so, like in my case, it was a misunderstanding. I didn't even mean to offend the guy, and yet he took it offense. But he called me. We worked it out. I apologized, and it was a misunderstanding. We have both understood that, and it was all over. All worked out, and that's how God wants it. God wants healthy relationships healthy. I'll say this several times throughout the message today, but here, really, the reason Jesus gives this teaching is because he wants reconciliation. God longs for reconciliation. He doesn't want strife. He hates strife between his children. You know, Jesus called us to love. So that's really what God's heart is here. He wants us to love one another and get these things out in the open. But now what happens if this brother or sister, what what happens if, say, I didn't hear what my brother came and told me? What happens if that brother calls, sister calls you, and then they call you or you call them and they don't receive what you told them. They're like, no, I'm not wrong. You, you know, just no, I'm not wrong. And you're wrong. And you, you shouldn't not, I don't even want to hear you anymore. Click. Because unfortunately, sadly, Christians aren't perfect either. We're flawed just like the world. And sometimes we get prideful. And unfortunately, things don't always go perfect. So what's step number two, how to handle a sinning brother verse verse 16 Jesus says, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So we've got that situation. Somebody offends somebody. Somebody offends you. You get mad at them. And then, you know, you call them and say, listen, brother, this is what you said or this is what you did. And then they're like, you know what? I don't see it your way at all. I'm 100% right. You just got to get over it and you just got to suck it up because I didn't do anything wrong and too bad. Sorry. 
click, goodbye. And in fact, you know, never want. I'm going to another church. I'm, I'm out of here. Something like that happens. They just will not hear you. Jesus says, go take two or one or two more people and go to that person. Why did Jesus say to bring others into the mix? Well, God was showing me that this weekend because I was I was kind of struggling with some of this. You know, I'd had it happen to me before in the past, and yet the you know the details of it I didn't quite get. But here's here's what I, I got from the Lord. Well, with any crime, injustice, or wrongdoing, just one witness usually is not enough to get a conviction unless you have a lot of uh, proof, you know, in, in on your side. Uh, two or more witnesses or a whole lot of evidence is needed for an accusation to turn into a conviction. So why would multiple witnesses be needed to help brothers and sisters to realize they've offended or sinned against you and to hear what you say and to receive what you say? Well, just think about it. If this has ever happened to you, usually one person to one can say, can think, you know, whatever. They hang up the phone, they walk away, they, 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 they had somebody approach them, they, they, you know, they did something wrong, but then they're in denial. And so that one person comes to them and they say, hey, brother, brother this, sister that, you know, this is what happened. And you're like, no, and you're in denial and you walk away, you storm away. Well, then you're, you're wrestling with it. Jesus said, go get another one or two, tell them the situation. And that one or two are going to either, they're going to either agree with you or they're going to disagree with you. If they agree with you and they realize that something, they can see, wow, he did that. Oh, wow, she did that. Well, I, ouch. Well, you know what? Let's go talk to them. Usually when you have one or two more along with you to that person that sinned against you, it helps them to realize that, wow, maybe, yeah, wow, if, if more people agree with that dude that I offended, my brother so-and-so, maybe, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. It helps the the seriousness of the situation when you have you plus another couple that you told the situation to. And you're going to go to the person that you sinned against or that sinned against you and you're going to tell them and then you're going to all talk about it. And when the the witnesses and you are together and you guys are all talking about it and and hopefully what what you want to happen is that that they realize, wow, you know what I did? Yeah, that was wrong. Yeah, okay, I see that. I was wrong, you know. Let's reconcile. Listen, I'm sorry. I apologize because, again, that's what God desires with this whole, this whole structure, this whole scripture here is reconciliation amongst the brother and amongst the sisters. So step two, dealing with brothers and sisters that have sinned against you is to take two or more, one or two or more witnesses with you and to go and bring that accusation against that brother or that sister and talk about it with them. So Jesus gives us some good ways to handle these difficult situations. Now, side note from me, just just from my perspective, from me, I believe, and this is a tough thing to talk about, but I believe out there, any Christians that's listening to me right now, we should never have to get to step two. We should always just hear or listen to the brother or sister that comes to us in step one, and we should handle it between brother and sister to brother and sister. Maybe, you know, you did offend them, but maybe your offense or your sin against against them was so minor, and maybe you didn't even feel like you were wrong because, you know, after all, I mean, that's just the way I am. But then maybe they did take offense or felt that you sinned against them. Well, really, who's right? Well, it's really perspective. And from the one that got sinned against, from their perspective, you hurt their feelings. 
Just say you're sorry. Just apologize. Just move past it. And, and then everything can be all squared away. We should never have to get to step two because step two kind of puts more seriousness in it. Put down your pride, apologize, and work things out between the two of you and move forward. Too much today, we're not sensitive enough to the conscience uh, and feelings of the other brother and sister in Christ and, and, we, and receive what they tell you. That's what we need to do because they got offended somehow, whether you meant it or not. They got offended somehow. Just receive it. Don't get to step two. Move forward, reconcile the relationship, and go on. So unfortunately, sometimes you have to get another couple involved, sadly. Now, sadly, Jesus tells us that there will be cases, almost makes me cringe, where there are brother or sister won't hear you along with multiple witnesses that you, t- that you might take along to testify to them of their wrong or sin against you. So then we got to go to step three. We have to read verse 17, step three. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Stop there. The church, if you're thinking about, well, wouldn't that just be like the whole congregation, the whole body? No. The church here would really be the leaders, the, the pastors, the elders of the church. That would be the church itself. Why would Jesus want us to go to the church then? We, are, we, went, we went one-to-one. Nothing happened. We went one and two or three more, and nothing happened there. Now Jesus said, go to the church. Go to the elders. Go to the ruling body. Take this matter before you know them and let them deal with it. Why would Jesus tell us to go to the church? Well, think about it like this. Bringing it to the church is like bringing it before the law or court system for a lawsuit or a final judgment against the one in offense. Your hopes were that the one that sinned against you would have now realized that they were wrong, repented, making right whatever he did wrong against you, whether it was your conscience, money, property, goods, whatever. That was your hope, is that by this time now, everything would have been able to get worked out. But all of your non, you you could call them your non-legal attempts at peaceful negotiations have failed. So now Jesus tells us to take the matter to the church for a ruling or judgment, like you would a court of law, to force the guilty party to pay up or to make the wrong that they did to you right. Paul confirms this idea of not using the law, but going to the church in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 6, as he corrects the Corinthian church for doing this, handling these steps in the wrong way. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1 through 6. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. He's got to see how his idea here is the same as Jesus here in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Dare any of you have, dare any of you have a matter against another and go to law before the unrighteous and do not and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, exactly what Jesus is saying right here, that somebody sinned against you, somebody offended you, somebody did you wrong, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. 
it, it, or is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So we see there that the Corinthian church had not followed Jesus' steps to taking, you know, what he told us to do. Step one, step two, step three, and there's a step, <coughs> step four that we'll get to. Hopefully, step three does it. Instead of having to go to law, instead of having to go, you know, further past that, and the sinning brother realizes that they are wrong, and they apologize, and make reparations, or whatever, and, and then reconciliation is made between the parties. Hopefully, your last step is you take it to the church, the person that sinned against you, man, this is, now these are the leaders of the church, and they, wow, these guys are wise even wise Christians, these guys have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years, and even they think I'm wrong. Oh my gosh, well, wow, I, I, yeah, I must have done wrong. I better apologize. Let's move forward, okay? I, I'm done with this. Wow, I'll take this as a learning experience. Let's move on. But we have pride, unfortunately. People are prideful. Sadly, Jesus says that it is possible that the sinning party won't even listen to the church and relent of their evil ways. Step four, the rest of verse 17. But if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be like a heathen and a tax collector. Now what's happened here? The relationship is completely ruined. It's completely destroyed. There's been no repentance on the sin, by the sinning party, no reconciliation between the sinning party and, and you, and Satan has won completely. And really at this point, Satan has that sinning brother because their heart is just so hard and so calloused and so just angry that they're just really in Satan's clutches even at this time. Sadly, Jesus says that we are then to treat them as a heathen or unsaved person. What is he saying? Well, with a heathen or unsaved person, the Bible says we're not even to keep like intimate fellowship company with them. Now, does it say it's wrong to eat with a heathen? Well, Jesus ate with the sinners and the tax collectors, so no. But it's wrong to even have an intimate dinner. It's wrong to even get, you know, uh, intimately involved with this type of person where, you know, your guys are hanging out and you guys are doing things together. Like, you know, that's what the Bible says about a Christian and a non-Christian or a Christian and a, an, a, a, an unsaved person that we're supposed to reach them. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go to them. We're supposed to reach them for the Lord. Maybe if we have to eat with them and have a dinner to try to talk to them about the Lord or, we're, you know, that we invite them to church or so on and so forth, but to sit down and actually go do something with them. The Bible says, uh-uh, sorry, nope, stay away from that type of relationship with an unsaved person. And that's what Jesus said at step four. So much pride there, so much anger there that we're supposed to treat them like an unsaved person. And all, like I said earlier, all because of pride. All because of just refusing to realize that I'm wrong. I have another brother who bought a house a while ago, a couple years back. And this other brother bought a house from this man that he really looked highly upon as a strong Christian man, strong follower of Christ. Well, unfortunately, as they, him and his wife got into the house and they start settling the house and everything starts going on and you know they start looking at some things and wanting to replace some window coverings and so on and so forth, they started looking at the grout and the tile in the bathroom underneath the, the tub. You know, underneath in the shower and they started looking and wow, they, it was loose and so they start pulling it up and, and they start realizing they got a, a plumber out there and oh yeah, somebody 
Somebody doctored up the tile job in the bathtub in the, in, the, in the shower stall so that it was purposely doctored over so that there was major damage throughout under the shower that was not revealed to the, my brother in the disclosure of buying the house. So he comes to me asking for advice, and I sent him right here, this scripture here. Well, you need to go to that brother. You need to tell him what he did, you know, one-to-one. And, and so he did, and the brother was like, oh, I, I didn't even realize it. And well... My brother says that when the contractor came out and looked at the damage, he said, no, you see this extra stuff here, and, and it was easily to be told by a professional. It was easily to be seen, excuse me, by a professional, that this was something that the person knew was wrong and that they added some extra tile to the tub floor to kind of hide the damage that was there long enough so that, okay, we're going to sell the house, we'll get through with the house sale, okay, let's just get it sold and let the next buyer worry about the problem that we've known about for all this time so yeah we're just, we're just going to do that so my brother goes to this guy who he looked upon esteemed as a very you know strong christian and he goes to the brother and the brother just played it off and act like he didn't know and my brother kept saying well man i got a professional out here and this is what he said happened now you know i'm not trying to accuse you here but you know can you tell me what happened and the fella just kept making excuses and just kept making excuses and kept making excuses. And then he then he followed the steps. He he did what Jesus said to do here. He went, he took, and he came to this brother. And the brother got more angry. And then the brother stopped listening to him and just kind of kept brushing him off. And then finally my brother went to his church and said, Hey, man, this is what happened. This guy is, is not helping. He's not even wanting to, you know, because my brother wanted some money back or, or help to fix the tile, you know, because that's actually what the law says. The law says if you sell a house and if you don't disclose something and stuff's found that was purposely hidden, you could be in danger. You're in trouble. That's a that's a lawsuit. That's a big, 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 big no-no in selling houses. So my brother went to this guy's church and he told him. And the church comes back a little while later and says, you know what, man, we're just not going to get involved. Sorry. Too bad. You know, you're just, you're on your own. You just got to deal with them on your own. And then... The fellow wrote him back or called him back and said, listen, if you keep bothering me, I'm going to, and you know what, I'm going to hire an attorney. I'm done with you. You're, you. This is wrong and you keep coming. And So unfortunately, right here, I've seen this in my own life where this actually happens. A brother even refuses to hear, well, even here, even the church refused to hear what this guy did wrong and then just basically brushed it off. They, they, they took away their, they just gave away their, what Jesus gave them here. The church was supposed to do this and they said, nope. We're not going to do it. We forfeit all this. You know, it's, it's up to you. And uh, it's such a sad, sad thing. My brother's like, what do I do now, man? What do I do now, Ed? What do I do now? I said, man, pray about it. Well, do I take it to law? I said, well, you know what the Bible says about that. And so here, the Bible says what the man needs to do, what my brother needs to do. The man needs to be treated by like a heathen or a tax collector. It's really sad that that has to be that way. But sometimes Christians will just will not admit that they're wrong. And just harden their hearts so badly and so strongly that they just, you know, it, it just doesn't work out and Satan wins. You know, step four is terrible, you know, and you may be thinking, man, well, that's, how could God say to do that? But, you know, real, realistically, you know, sin will catch up with you. And when you won't admit to something you've done wrong to somebody, and even though the church agrees with you and other leaders agree with you and the witnesses agree with you and you know and you just keep, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. Well, something's wrong. Somebody's wrong. And if you get all these people say you're wrong, then you're wrong. And they're right. And so we just need to stop being prideful and put down our pride and move forward and just, you know, not let the enemy win because the devil wins so much. 
You know, it's so sad. The devil wins so much in the church of today, especially in the American church. And how does God look upon, you know, so if you're innocent and you're the righteous one, okay, and the witnesses that have heard you, they feel you're right, and then the church, they've heard you, and they've all judged your case, and they've all judged you to be right, and you bring a judgment like a righteous agreement against this person. How does God view that righteous judgment, that righteous agreement that you guys made as a body? Well, it's right there, verse 18. Jesus said, Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So if the righteous agree that a brother sinned, and all the righteous party agreed, that agreement is so powerful, it stands so firm that even God honors that agreement because right here jesus said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven you all agreed you agreed that it was so you agreed that the brother wasn't in some sin or in some type of offense towards you that brother's wrong even god will look upon that other brother on whatever judgment that you had to fully go to and god will even lay that judgment upon that brother or that sister jesus tells us here that there's power in the agreement of the just and righteous that get together that agree. So powerful, he tells us, is this agreement of the righteous witnesses that come together in him and Christ, that Jesus tells us here that this agreement even goes beyond the judgment of a guilty brother or sister fallen in sin unto a powerful prayer. Look at verse 19. Again, he says, or you could say assuredly is another word, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So if we agree, if the righteous and just parties agree upon anything on earth, Jesus said that it will be done for us by our Father in heaven. Notice we can't lose our context here. Notice we are speaking about the just and the righteous that are coming together in agreement. And so really when you look biblically, if you're a just and you're a righteous person and you're following God, what you're going to be asking for is going to line up with God's will and God's character. Oh no, I'm going to get the righteous to agree with me and we're going to be millionaires. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying if the just and righteous get together in agreement, That agreement is going to, in essence, line up with the heart of God. And we're going to be asking for something that God would want us to have anyway. And God will give us and grant us what we are asking for. And Jesus next tells us why this is even possible. Read verse 20. Probably one of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Probably one of the most powerful scriptures in all the whole Bible. Wherever two or three more, whether two or three or more are gathered in my name, Jesus is there. And we know that if Jesus is in the midst of those gathered in his name, then he can hear us loud and clear. And what does he do if he hears us loud and clear and our prayers line up with the righteous heart of God? He takes him to the throne room of God because the Bible tells us that Christ is the only mediator between God and man, which means that our prayers are only going to be heard in heaven because of Jesus Christ. 
So just think about that. The next time you gather together with brothers and sisters outside of a sinning brother or (laughs) sinning sister that comes against you, if you gather together with brothers and sisters wherever, anywhere all over the world, then the Bible says, Jesus tells us here, I'll be in your midst. I'll be standing right there before you. So what that's cool is, is that even when we were praying before church started, and even as we prayed to start church, what Jesus told us is, is I was standing right here in the midst of you. Just think about that next time you're praying, because that, you know, that helps me kind of, I think about that, how Jesus is right there with me, and I think, wow, that's awesome, and then he's listening to me. Uh, Who was it? It was uh, Hagar, Abraham's wife, and Abraham and Sarai kicked her out, because there was something happening with Sarai, and then Hagar takes Ishmael, and she runs into the wilderness, and she just sets Hagar down behind the behind this bush, and she goes to the other bush, and she says, she takes Ishmael, excuse me, and she sets him down behind this bush, and she goes to this other bush, and she says, okay, well now, I don't want to see my young one die. And then God comes to her, and he speaks to her, and she calls God's name after that, the God who sees. My God who sees. So just think about that, what Jesus said here. Jesus said, if any two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there in the midst of you. I will see you praying. I will hear you praying. That's powerful. That's awesome and powerful. And that God would hear us in heaven because Jesus is there. So we learned a lot of powerful things in Scripture today. We learned a lot about an unfortunate side of Christianity that, you know, it happens. The unfortunate side of Christianity happens is the fact that Christian brothers and sisters are going to have bouts with one another. We're going to get offended with one another. We're going to have wrongs. We're going to, I'm going to sin against people, and there's, people are going to sin against me. We may not be trying, but it's going to happen. The things that Jesus taught me today in Scripture, Christians are going to have issues and grievances against one another, just like anyone else in the world will have. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. But we will have grievances and we will have oughts or we will have, you know, disagreements and we will have judgments against one another. It's just going to happen. He also taught us that we got four steps of how to deal with these brothers and sisters or, you know, that they would deal with us. There's four steps of dealing with us. One to one is number one, of course, first of all, God's hopes that we just reconcile with one another and that's it. And it's all over, and we have reconciliation. We're all done. Number two, we take, if that doesn't work, we go and get another one or two brothers and sisters. We go to that brother and sister. We say, hey, listen, this is what happened. You know, I've talked to my case over with this person here, these people here. You know, what do you have to say for yourself? I just want things made right. I just want you to admit, you know, look what you did, and I was really offended, or, you know, this money you owe me, or whatever. Step two, if they won't hear them, you go to the church, and if unfortunately Jesus tells us step four sad part is if they won't hear even the church cut them off basically you know in those days even in the early Christian church if somebody this would happen to somebody the church would actually disfellowship somebody and then they would have to leave the church and unlike today where people can just go right down the street to another five churches there was not another church for like another city so there were only like generally one Christian church per city in that day so if really, if you disfellowship somebody back then and you cut them off and you, uh, you know, counted them as a, as a sinning brother or sister, they either had to move their whole family to another city because unlike today, they didn't have cars and fast transportation. For them to go from one city to the next could 
take a long time. And that would be hard to do. Plus, what they did would get around to the churches because they were all very close, unlike today. So we got these four steps of dealing one another. I learned that Jesus Christ wants us to be reconciled to one another and love one another. Isn't that all what this whole scripture was about anyway? Jesus wants us to love one another. Didn't he say in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, talking to the disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that the heart of all scripture is love? And we also learned how powerful the agreement of the righteous is in God's sight. We learned how powerful the agreement of two or more could be toward a brother or sister that's sinning. That when we take our cases before them, there's more power in, in, one, in multiple people coming than in one coming. But it all could be summed up. Jesus, What did Jesus say? All the law and the prophets hang on what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we just loved one another in the body of Christ, these step one would only be the last step, really, even if it was a step at all. Because unless you forgive one another, you can't really truly love them. So Christians, know that unfortunately other Christians will sin against you or offend you. We need to deal with it, like Jesus says here, and move forward and not let Satan win. And Christians out there that will sin against another Christian, even if you didn't mean to, if a brother or sister comes to you with a complaint against you, that you sinned against them or offended them somehow, then please handle their complaint and hear them and make right whatever it is that is done wrong. Paul says the same thing. Paul really has the heart of it right there. We didn't finish it, but in 1 Corinthians 6, 7, 8, listen to what Paul says on if a brother or sister comes to you with a complaint against you. He says, now therefore, it is already an utter failure that you, that you go to law against one another. Why do you not accept your wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to the brethren. So, somebody comes to you, and you have sinned against somebody else, because it's happened to me. It's probably happened to all of us. Then we need to hear that brother, listen to that brother or sister, and say, you know what, I, you know what, I, I could see, let me, let me pray, Rogan, let me pray, but you know what, I... All right, you know, I'm sorry I offended you. It's, it's happened, you know, it's going to happen. Jesus gives us, this take, gives us the steps to take care of it. Admit you're wrong and move forward. It's better to apologize and make whatever you did wrong right than to pridefully stand for your innocence and ruin a relationship and let the devil win. And really what he does is he'll eventually destroy you if you don't just reconcile and make things right. So please... My plea to anyone out there that's a child of God, just have love and peace with one another and work things out. Bad things are going to happen. Sins are going to come against you. Just just deal with it and, and handle it like a man or woman of God that you are. Now, as I said earlier, mainly that was all about Christianity. Mainly that sermon was all about Christians, dealing with other Christians. If I have any unbelievers out there or seekers that are listening to this message... Maybe you didn't know that Christians could have all these problems between each other. Maybe you were thinking, man, I thought, you know, when I became a Christian, my life was just going to be perfect. 
and that nothing ever was going to go wrong. And, that, you know, my life was supposed to be just a you know, tiptoe through the tulips. Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. Maybe you're saying, boy, oh boy, I'm never going to be a Christian after listening to these things. Man, that's harsh. But you got to understand, as Jesus said, life is life, right? Whether you're a Christian or whether you don't believe in Jesus, we're going to go through struggles. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through sufferings. We're going to have people offend us. We're going to offend people. It's going to happen. But there are benefits. I want you to think about this. There are benefits to following Christ. There are benefits to being a Christian. What are they? Well, when bad happens, number one, you can go to him and lean on him and let him help you through whatever's happened. Whether it's another brother or sister after you started following Christ, whether it's another brother or sister that offended you, or whatever it is in life, you can go to him and he'll help you through it. He promises to do that for us. And he can give you peace to deal with it, unlike you just handling it at all on your own. Number two, as well as with that, you go to his word for guidance. You have his word for guidance now that you've become a Christian, now that you've become a follower of Christ. You have something happen. You have a brother or sister come and offend you. You can go to his word for guidance, and he'll teach you the perfect steps to take to work it all out. Unlike handling it on your own, I did it for 25 or 24 or 25 years of my life, and as I handled things out on my own, they ended up worse than when they began. Because I ruined it by my pride and my arrogance and my hatred. I ruined things. I ruined my life, and I every practical bridge that I have before Christ was burned. I would burn every bridge. There was no reconciliation. I didn't know the word. So instead, not only can God give you peace through when you go through difficult times, when a brother or sister sin against you, you have him to lean on and you have his word to go through for, you know, as guidance for when you go through these things. And why? Why? I reiterated it again, just like my last sermon a month or so ago, because his character is love. He's all love, and he loves you, and he loves me, and he desires us to get through these things through his love, with his love, because God is love. So praise be to God. You want to join me in a word of prayer? And uh, let's close our service. Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for your love, Lord, that all of this is just from love. Lord, you just want us to be reconciled. You want us to love one another. You want us to learn how to handle our problems. Lord, unfortunately, we're going to have brothers and sisters sin against us. And unfortunately, Lord, we're going to sin against them. We're going to offend them. Maybe we didn't mean to. Maybe we did. And we were just weak that time or something, you know, Lord. But we're going to have it happen, unfortunately. So, Lord, I just pray that we would take your steps because your heart is reconciliation. You know, and unfortunately, sometimes things can't be reconciled, Lord God, and we need to be in prayer about those things. But Lord, as, uh, as those things can be reconciled, I pray we'd go to your word for that guidance that I even suggested to the, you know, those that are seeking or those non-Christians at the end of the service there, Lord. We, as your children, can go to your word and we can look at how we're supposed to do it. And we can look at how we're supposed to handle these situations and how we can just simply love other people instead of being prideful, instead of being arrogant, Lord. Help us, Lord, to take your steps. Help us to see your love and love others with that same love. And Lord, I, I just pray for, you know, anyone out there right now listening that may be having a struggle with, a, you know, a reconciliation with a brother or sister or, 
you know, something that's happened where there's been an offense, there's been a sin, and they've, you know, they haven't gone, and that relationship's just kind of ruined or whatever, Lord, I just pray that they would take your advice, take your word, and, and have peace with that other brother or sister, and go to them, and take the steps that you, you know, gave us to take, and that, Lord, we'd handle everything through your love, and your guidance, and your wisdom. We thank you and praise you, dear God, and we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, praise God. It's Pastor Ed here, everyone, and I want to thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the message today. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's Word and not a hearer only, because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. Hey, if you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our house church Sunday mornings for our service at 1015. Directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests, questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. And God bless you. Have a wonderful day.